think the real conversation is who deserves to be an artist? Who gets to be an artist? Hello and welcome to AI for Good. Today we have two special guests with us, Julia Wheatley, who is a visual artist, model, and also a co-founder of Exhibited.at and Mopar. You'll notice the same last name as mine. Julia is my daughter who is using AI in her creative endeavors. And our other guest is her husband, Marcelo Torres. And Marcelo is a founder and director at Nature Barrels an online surf brand. So we're glad to have these two folks with us today talking about how they've incorporated AI into their process and into their work. So a couple of episodes ago, we were talking a little bit about creative stuff. And I just mentioned about how you guys are involved with Web3 and NFTs and um, how the blockchain can actually help track digital product so that there is a potential for artists to actually profit off of their work instead of just being ripped off and stolen from. So anyway, that piqued Dylan's interest as a creative. I mean, I think we both have uh, similar, uh, similar experience in the Web3 exploration time that we did. I think mostly we like dove pretty deep into it, I would say, last year. Uh, maybe a little bit the year before, but for us it was really interesting too because we're coming from the artist's point of view and we don't really know any or much about the technology or even the finance side that it was being used before. And so, you know, long story short, we got into these Twitter spaces, which is which are live audio conversations that you can participate and ask questions. And that's how we gained most of our knowledge and we became really interested because of what you said, the possibility of being able to capitalize on artistic work and have that be recorded in a place that's um, safe, so to speak, uh, and traceable. And so I think for artists, it it, um, came with a lot of really interesting opportunities and new possibilities that were not there before. Uh, You know, things like being able to charge uh, royalties on sales and being able to decide how much you want that to be and then being able to see whose hands your art has been through in the passing of time. So those are really interesting things for artists that before were a complete mystery or were things that were completely out of our hands. Um, So I think, yeah, the Web3 exploration started what, er, er, like late 2021, I would say. And we took kind of similar paths, I would say, but I think Julia's experience specifically with uh, using Web3 and the blockchain as an artist is really uh, not only fruitful, but also, you know, there's a lot of insights that we've learned from that journey. I think it's a really interesting one, too, because she's still uh, very much on it, even I would say a little bit more so than I am. Um, So, yeah, maybe I don't know what what your (laughs) thoughts are on, on that journey and, yeah, kind of what you've learned from that, I guess. Yeah, basically, Marcella and I... Like we mentioned, we got into this whole concept in late 21, um, which was the very end, like kind of the waning hours of the bull run, which was a really interesting time to be getting into it because there was so much enthusiasm for the possibilities of this, especially from the artistic standpoint, because this this course of events this time around was heavily focused on NFTs. And the success of the NFTs had a lot to do with the 
artist and the team and the artwork behind it. So for the first time in the history of Web3 and blockchain and crypto, um, artists were really a part of the conversation alongside the finance, alongside the technology. Um, so that's kind of when we started getting interested in kind of those Twitter spaces were abundant and really engaging and exciting because it was such an open space of sharing and learning and a genuine search for artists to be to participate in it. Um, it's kind of been really interesting watching the last year and a half of this unfold as we came out of the bear into the bull market, you know, the enthusiasm, the money, the uh, entire right. economy changed very drastically. Um, so I think it's been really interesting now that we've been in a bowl for a full year. Bear. Bear, thank you. Bear. <laughs> we've been in a bear for a full year hibernating. Um, and so now <laughs> to see who's around, what people are working on, what people are building. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm working and building um, in, in the Web3 space as an artist, which we can get into, but I'm not sure where you guys want to yeah. go. Yeah. No, I mean, one of the threads you're mentioning is something we see in AI that parallels that sort of, there's sort of this gold rush phase where everybody jumps in. Yeah. And then there's a phase where sort of people get winnowed out or some major hiccup happens and who decides to stick with it and continue and who just was in it for the party. Um, and so... We're seeing similar, like everybody's interested in AI right now, but there will be problems and bumps, but we see sort of long-term reasons for nonprofits to continue, um, regardless of the ups and downs in the market. So one of the things I'd love to, that I see a parallel is how a new technology provides opportunity for lots of different people to come together. So like you're saying like crypto and Web3 enabled artists and finance people and tech folks to come together. And that created an in interesting stew of creativity. I was going to comment on that too. The, I think there was, you know, a few, but maybe the biggest catalyst for that to happen was the, and it, it's also a uh, technology tidbit was the, Twitter spaces and clubhouse uh, spaces before that, which was something new uh, as far as social media goes that allowed people to get together and have a conversation in real time. Uh, and it brought a new uh, degree, let's say, of connectivity with the being able to hear people's voices and tone and volume. And I think that created a whole new way of connecting with people and communicating that created these really interesting online communities, which at the end of the day ended up being a lot of the, uh, you know, we made friends in these online communities and a lot of the knowledge that we gained in the Web3 and NFT space ended up coming from these live conversations that weren't even a thing right. six months before that. So it was kind of a perfect storm uh, for that to happen and for that bull run to, be, to really become what it became. Uh, with this, you know, secret sauce, let's call it, of the of the live audio conversations. Uh, which, again, back to the opportunity point, right? That provided artists with uh, little or no network an opportunity to put themselves in front of a lot of people and collectors and 
auction houses and galleries. So that was a really interesting uh, point of connection that was enabled purely by this new technology that happened at that point in time. Um, so I think, yeah, it's very similar to what's happening now with, with what you say about AI providing um, opportunity for artists. You know, it's a, it's a new tool and it's really exciting. And I think for us being in the Web3 and NFT space before the AI uh, explosion, let's call it, or the beginning of it becoming mainstream, was also where we found a lot of these artists and new technologies that were... Uh, you know, being developed and people that were playing with AI just a little bit before it went mainstream or before it exploded like it has now. So it kind of gave, gave us a little bit of a glimpse into, into the technology just a few months before it exploded. Uh, and seeing the way people have taken that technology and used it to, you know, do creative uh, works or endeavors and ventures have been really, really interesting. Uh, and I think for us, it's still kind of, it's still pretty early as far as figuring out how we use the tools and how we place them in the creative workflow. Um, so I feel like we're kind of in an exploration phase where there's all these new tools right. coming out almost like every week, right? You hear a new one every week, like one that translates the yeah. text audio or makes the video and like the one that animates the characters for you. Uh, so it's almost super overwhelming, right? There's so many new ones all the time. Everyone's talking about them, but I think the what I was getting at is the the point of connectivity with the you know NFTs and Web three and online uh, opportunity. Really, that's kind of like the I think the through line here is the opportunity that these technologies present, especially for artists. So it's kind of an interesting time to explore as an artist. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I'm both of you guys do, Marcelo does um, sort of immersive world as well as AR type stuff, as well as actual live events and real life. I mean, it's that there's a we there's a way to interact on a highly technical and also a highly personal way yeah. that's enabled by this technology. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, like Marcelo touched upon the Twitter spaces and Clubhouse. It's not only that we had this new technology and an interest in a community, we had the um, ability to wide, widespread, widely spread this information. Um, with mm -hmm. Yeah, and I know that, at least for me, I felt like a huge resurgence of connectivity. I'd never been on Twitter. I only am on Twitter because of Web3 NFT stuff, which I'm grateful for because I'm in been a niche that I enjoy. I'm not seeing any other gnarliness that Twitter has to offer. Um, but with that in mind, I think it's really interesting. Marcelo and I both work on projects where we use blockchain and these, this technology as a way to reconnect in real life. So, and it's also fun. I'm working on a Web3 startup called Exhibited.app. And basically what we do is we archive exhibition history on the blockchain so that artists, galleries, oh, cool. uh, exhibitions can all be recorded in the art history that is happening right now. Um, we're really excited about it. But the, the cool thing is that, first of all, Ro, the founder, uh, we met in a Twitter space talking about our love for <laughs> traditional art and the hope for blockchain. And 
we worked together for a year before on a different side project called, um, what was my other project called? <laughs> uh, Mopar. Mopar, <laughs> the Museum of Commuted Art, uh, where we were basically getting artists to permute previous artworks as NFTs as a way of having a conversation about art history and encouraging people to be curious. And the whole idea with that was to get people back into museums. Um, and that kind of evolved into where we're at right now with exhibit.at, where we are recording exhibition history. Um, but the whole idea behind that is that there are these really special moments in real life, especially when you get to go see art in real life. And I think I don't think anything will replace me, as an artist at least, I don't think anything will replace getting to physically see art with your own eyes in the context of an exhibition or a museum or a gallery. Um, and I think it's really important to note that NFTs and um, the work that we're doing isn't trying to replace traditional art. It's trying to encourage right. people to reconnect and find a new uh, appreciation or love for it and or to archive it and have a memory of it that lasts longer than just the social media feed. Right. Yeah, it's almost like with the advent of photography, it meant that you didn't have to go travel to the Uffizi to like see the art or whatever. You could see a photo of it. It's maybe not the same as standing in front of the David, but uh, you can at least, you could see it if you could, you know, somebody could show you a photograph of it. That's kind of interesting. And so now with, with the Web3 technology, what I hear you guys saying is like, we're, we're, the goal is to make art more accessible to more people, to more people or more, uh, yeah, just more available. And it's, it's funny because in, and a question I have is like, are these new technologies, are they exciting? Are, are they exciting? And like, oh, let's play with this. Or is it depressing? Or <laughs> I don't know. I wonder about that. I mean, and I like, I sort of don't worry too much about artists because you guys are always so good at like, taking stuff and and breaking it apart and and you know making new things but i just wonder yeah how does it how does it feel to to hear about these things marcel you said it's sort of overwhelming sometimes but yeah i think the i think it's mostly exciting to be honest like if you look back in time okay. uh you know at artists and innovators they've always been using the latest technology available to them you know whether that is mm -hmm the bristles of the brush or like new acrylic paints mm. or, you know, virtual reality or scanners and printers or the, or the camera, the photo camera. Uh, these are all new technologies that have allowed artists a new medium to play with. And I think this is kind of similar to that. The scary part I think comes in when, you know, upon realizing that a lot of the art that the technology produces or the output is very similar to something that's human made. Uh, mm -hmm. so I think that's where a lot of the friction comes in when you see something really beautiful and then someone tells you, oh, it's actually AI art. And it, yeah. it creates this sort of a reaction, right? It's not yeah. human made, but it's just as beautiful. And you might have not even noticed uh, had someone not told you beforehand. Uh, so I, I think mm -hmm. that little bit is interesting and new that didn't really happen with the technologies before, at least for the most part. But I think the overwhelming part is just the sheer number of tools that are being put out uh, so quick. Yeah. 
more so than what these tools are capable of doing. I think the capability of the tools are mostly really exciting, at least from my point of view. I see, I see these tools and technologies as something that I can add to my creative process, right? It doesn't really take away, it rather adds something. I think for me, uh, being a visual artist, it allows for really fast iteration, right? I'm able to imagine, uh, say, like, you know, a beautiful beach or an illustration of a surfing Sasquatch is what I'm particularly doing. Uh, <laughs> I am I'm able to tell the technology, you know, create however many Sasquatches and iterations, so I'm able to see ideas really quickly. It's sort of a way of brainstorming uh, really fast. I think that's, that's kind of the way I've been using it, at least the, the visual part of the technology, uh, but mostly exciting. I think it's a, a really cool tool to see. And it's also a, a part that I think is really exciting is that it enables people with, a lot of creativity, but without technical skill to create something really mm -hmm. beautiful, right? Because you could think of a beautiful composition or a beautiful combination of colors, but if you don't have the technical training, you can't put that down on a painting or on a canvas, or you can't illustrate it, right? But you can, you can think about it and you can imagine it in your brain. And this technology allows you to get that off your brain and on something that everyone can see. Um, so, yeah, we see that, or I've I've experienced that a lot with with music technology as well. That's sort of the main thing that I focus on. And and yeah, there are people who have you know zero, cannot play one single instrument, right. don't know music theory at all, but they can make these really cool, really cool things because of the technology. There's this incredible AI artist called Claire Silver, and they're anonymous, um, but they are really well recognized in the NFT Web three world, and they were doing AI art way before there was public access to things like Midjourney and Dolly. One of my favorite quotes from her, she did an entire NFT collection called AI art is not real art, um, which is, you know, basically a defense of her art, which yeah. is um, really beautiful and very specific. She has a really clear style, which I think is so cool that you can do in AI. But one of my favorite quotes from her is it's no longer about talent. It's about taste. And I think that's yeah. such an interesting way of thinking about developing technology um, and the benefits and the positive side to having access technology. Uh, like Marcelo said, it's it's not so much like can you can you paint this? It's what are you choosing to create? Which I think is a really beautiful way of looking at it. That connects interestingly, Sam, to you know to our audience and and nonprofits who may. Like what I'm hearing from from you guys is that the key is like having you you still have the human element. You're using the tool, but the creativity, the taste, the selection, the ideation, like all of that stuff is still coming from you and like your soul, you know, whatever, like your spirit. And so for 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 nonprofits, you don't, you know, whether we're talking about creativity in terms of visual art or like writing an email or writing a grant or uh, creating any kind of marketing material, you know, you, you are still, you are still the one creating, you're just using the tool to, to like help you along. Yeah. I think also from, you know, from an artist's perspective, you'll hear a lot, nothing is unique anymore. 
like as an artist at this stage in 2023, as we're recording, mm-hmm. today, um, it's impossible to make something that had, no one's ever seen before. And it's so much mm. less about being perfectly unique and more about the context in which you provide your art. Um, and I think mm. context is constantly been important in the history of art across the board. Um, the way that you look at things, it's so important to understand not only the time period it's being made in, but by whom and for what reason and who their audience is. It changes everything about a single piece of work. And I think the context mm-hmm. of making art um, or using AI or the way that you are utilizing a new tool is so important to the whole conversation of ethics as well as, you know, the healthy fear that comes from new technology and the genuinely honest questions and conversations we need to have over what are we really benefiting or taking away here with the new age of technology and the way it's being being used and the context in which it's being used. Right. So how would you guys tell us just specifically, like how are you using AI technology in your work today? Um, so I think for me, the, the first one I've, I experimented with was Dali uh, a little bit over a year ago, you know, because I think it was one of the first to come out, at least on a mainstream level. And for me as a visual artist, it was really interesting immediately because it's like, wow, I can now type something that I imagine uh, and, you know, some image will appear, whatever that is. And started playing with Dali. And at that time, uh, to be honest, it was mostly like fun, creative exploration, what I was doing. Uh I was trying to understand how to craft a better prompt and, uh, you know, what keywords it would react better than others and uh, ideate different surfing Sasquatches quite literally for my illustration. <laughs> um, and, you know, I wanted to see like, oh, I wonder what a Sasquatch would look like in a painterly style or as a high quality 3D model to kind of think about what the future of the the visual, you know, story of my brand could potentially look like. So that was purely exploratory, I would say, as far as Dali goes. And then uh, the next one for me was ChatGPT, which was kind of a, I, I feel like for a lot of people, felt like this crazy unlock of a tool that yeah. streamlined right. so many processes on your day-to-day uh, that it was a no-brainer. You know, why would you not use this to craft an email in two minutes instead of 15, you know, and little things totally. like that is so helpful. And then the most recent one that I've been using, and to me, honestly, has been the most uh, mind-blowing and probably transformative for for my creative work and for my project as well, is uh, one called Wonder Dynamics, which is still, I believe, in close beta, but what it does is that you feed it a video of a person um, and then you give it a 3D model and it takes that person and replaces it with the 3D model, right? It's absolutely crazy because this is something that six months ago could take months to produce, right? It's it's quite the production that you you would have to do in order to create such a thing. But now Mm -hmm. you can make it, you know, so simply. It takes only a few minutes. Uh, and a part of me is like, wow, a part of me says like, this is 
absolutely mind blowing and crazy, obviously. And I no longer need to learn, you know, put months or even <laughs> learning animation or like video editing, yeah. these things that take a long time, but I could rather make my artistic vision come to life very, relatively shortly, which is what I was saying about the, uh, what is it? The artistic ability limiting, you know, the person to be able to put down what they're imagining. So that's another one that I've only started playing with in the past month, and it's been really fun. And there's already so many things that I want to do uh, with it, and it's so exciting. I think as an artist is is extremely exciting. And for me, as someone who doesn't know animation or you know VFX and things like that, it's a it's a crazy thought that it almost feels surreal. I feel like for someone who does, it's also a magnificent tool to iterate on ideas really quickly. So I think all in all, it's it's a lot more good than it is bad. It's just a, a tool that we need to learn how to use and put into our creative work. Right. Yeah. How about you, Julia? How are you using AI tools? So I started with AI um, around the same time Marcelo did in early early 2022. I actually did an entire NFT collection um, with a friend of mine, August who runs a exclusively AI art gallery called Mirage Gallery. Um, it's incredible. He's been doing it since 21, maybe even 2020, um, or shortly thereafter. Um, and so he is a, hmm. basically he, he curates these drops that are created by, it's strictly AI art, and it's amazing. Um, we're friends through Web3, and he approached me about before Dali was public and before um, these AI, like everyone who's doing AI at this time were really intense artists and people who knew the technology and understood how the technology worked in order to be able to manipulate it. It's really cool. I am not being one of those people, but August is. Um, and he, he said, hey, I think it'd be really interesting um, there's this new thing called Dolly, and basically you can place artwork into it and it will iterate pieces that look similar to the art that you input. It's amazing. It's the most incredible thing you've ever seen. And I was like, that is so cool. And we came up with this concept. We did this NFT project where, um, called Dreamers, where I created a hundred unique uh, little aliens, essentially, and like these like people, images. Um, fictional characters and he put that into Dali and then Dali took my style of uh, artwork and then created iterations from what he input. And it was really, really cool. And it was kind of a way of combining, you know, the traditional art, traditional artist with the technology of um, AI. And it was cool. a really fun project that we did. It was, um, we released it in August and it was really, it was really fun. Um, and then that was actually, we didn't know at the time, August used his very genius technological computer brain. Um, and I don't know how, but did all of those AI iterations um, on a program that was separate from anything public that you know. Um, and then uh, around the time we were releasing the project, Dolly became, uh, public, which meant that we were legally allowed to take the mm. artwork from Dolly and claim it as our own, which you weren't allowed to do previously. Um, so at the time, what we did is he had trained an AI model on my artwork, which took 
hundreds of hours on brain power and computer and uh, processing units, and it was incredible. And then when Dolly opened that up, we then included some of the uh, images from Dolly, which is basically like the layman's version of what August did on the back end, um, so that the collection was my original artwork, the AI model that August wrote that understood and recognized my artwork, and then the Dolly images that came all of that together, which was remarkable. And then I played around with Midjourney and uh, made Dad a little sentimental birthday present, which is, uh, I was trying to, if, if for those of you guys who haven't gone on to Midjourney or Dolly, um, it's free to sign up. Uh, you get like a few credits a month and you should absolutely go see what we're talking about because it's, it's incredible, but it also is so hard to get exactly what you're trying to get it to do. Yeah. yeah. Be so yeah. specific. You have to know exactly how it's a new, you're learning a new language, you know? Right. I was going to say, it's a kind of a process. That's right? a good you point. See an mm -hmm. image and if you haven't tried it before, you might think like, Oh, that's like, so easy, you just type something up and it'll create something beautiful. But it's not quite that simple. You have to craft the prompt to be um, good for it to produce something beautiful. And usually you're iterating on those right. prompts or on those images that you're receiving. So it's still, uh, granted, you're not grabbing acrylic paint and a brush and putting it on canvas, but it's still a creative process. Mm -hmm. You're still trying to come up with a good idea or a good way of communicating an idea and then iterating on that idea and then making small tweaks and suggestions that then change the final output. And usually you're doing, you know, 10, 20, 100 images before you produce one that you're actually really happy with or one that you want to share. Um, so it's not, it's not magic, right? There's still a process. Which is something I always am oh, sorry, as well as with, with AI, I know it can be really intimidating. And this is a conversation we've had about Web3 and blockchain as well. From the outside, it can be so overwhelming and intimidating to even think about understanding it. But you know, the best, the, the best way forward is education. And if you're able to at least be curious enough to discover what this really is or what is working or why people are caring about it or why people are afraid of it even, and being able to be curious enough to hear all of these different opinions and listen to podcasts like this that give you different perspectives on it. I think there's a lot of room for um, the positivity of it and, you know, the excitement of what create creatively you can think of to use it for. So, I mean, you guys are artists and entrepreneurs. Um, there's a lot of overlap to nonprofit kind of folks that may not be apparent at first. What is your kind of quick advice to maybe a nonprofit leader who's thinking about AI or, you know, some of these new products? What would you, what would you encourage them to do? I would say try them, try them all. <laughs> uh, definitely, because <laughs> there's a lot out there and I'm sure that more than one is going to prove to be really handy in your day-to-day. -day. And you might surprise yourself with one that you thought might not even be that good or, or you might not know how to use. And you just put a little bit of time into them and you figure them out. And they become these wonderful tools for 
honestly, anything, uh, anything from crafting an email to speeding up day-to-day -day tasks to creating beautiful imagery for content. Um, they're a great tool, and I think it's worth, it's really worthwhile uh, trying them. And I can almost guarantee that you're going to make back the time that you spend trying to learn them or, or trying them once you, once you learn them. That's a really good point. It takes time to learn it, but it's well worth the time you put in. I think my advice would be to um, not be afraid of really researching and, and looking into the technology of, of what actually are we doing here? Like what is actually going on? Because I think that's where you, you get the opportunity to find solutions for your problem basis. So whatever um, your solution you're trying to solve, are you not really sure if you're looking in the right place? Understanding the basis of what these technologies are providing is going to be so helpful to understand how you might be the one to use it in your, your practice. And I think it's also really important to recognize and remember that this is all brand new. So you genuinely might be the first person to use it in that way. And that does not mean that it is not right for you or not right in that context. Like we go back to the importance of context and everything. You might genuinely be the first person to think of using it in that way. For example, with like the exhibited.at, you know, the blockchain is a really, it's a big heavy word that as someone who's not from a technology background, I didn't understand like, okay, but where does it go? What, what's actually happening? Um, but when you zoom back and you, and you look at it, what it is, is it, it's a digital ledger where people have tons of data and information and anyone can transparently go check that information. Whether that's a sale of an NFT, or it's the transferring of crypto, or it's something along those lines, it stores information. And there's a lot of incredible uh, not-for-profits that are using blockchain, for example, to hold medical records and history. And the concept and idea of this being a source of um, you know, great depths of the amount of memory that our computers need and hold, especially in high-level fields like medical or law practices or other such regards. This is a giant file storage that doesn't, you know, burn up RAM, which is incredible in that capacity. Um, but the opportunities that these new technologies can provide for you is solely up to the context in which you need help. And I think it's really worth your time to be curious about how they work and what they do on a larger scale so that you can think about how they might apply to what it is that you're working on. Something you said, you guys said earlier made me think of, you know, a kind of parallel to other things that we've talked about in, in the sense of we might be moving from like a knowledge economy to a wisdom economy. And some of the skills that people that we all tried to develop in the knowledge economy were the, were the more technical sides of, of the skills. So whatever field you were in, you know, there was a lot of technical stuff to learn. And now with these AI tools, they're, they're sort of replacing some of those functions making it very, very easy. Like you were saying, Marcelo, I guess I'm not going to learn animation now. Like, <laughs> um, you know, but it's like, uh, but what you said in the creative field, it's like, yeah, like the, the, tech, the technological 
skills may not be as important, but perhaps the creative and like coming up with these ideas, that's going to have a little bit more value perhaps in, in the future. I don't get to talk to many like real artists. So it's like, it's pretty cool. We can cut this out later if it's if it's like too deep, but I'm 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 like genuinely curious about like I'm, I mean, I don't know, is the question like, what is art <laughs> or something? But it's like it's something like that. Like it is is AI art an oxymoron? <laughs> oh, I have so many opinions on this, so I apologize if I go on. Um, absolutely. It is absolutely art. I Okay. Huge! I am a huge, huge, huge. This is my soapbox. So Marcel is giggling because you started. You yeah, jump on <laughs> it. Um, art and technology have forever and always gone hand in hand. The invention of the locomotive is what gave us impressionism. The idea that you could, the invention of you know being able to put oil paints in the tube, a paint tube, changed art forever being able to go plain air paint that wasn't just in your your walkable distance and being able to get on a train and go to the seaside and, and see all these things and you know you're you're trying to paint quickly because you got to catch the train home but you're also outside that sparked an entire new way of thinking that led so many people into art being this garish expressionism like completely you know when when these paintings were first impressionism was an insult when it was first came out the whole term was supposed to be, um, you know, against what true real art was, because how dare you just splash around these colors. Um, and now obviously back yeah. on that movement as one of the most inspired and incredible evolutions of what art is to its core. And that has been the case forever. And, you know, since the beginning of cave paintings, technology has always aided in the development of art and even you know later on you know the, the transition between digital and film people were like oh digital cameras those don't count and then suddenly we're taking these insane photos and then photoshop and then composite photos those don't count you know and those have that's always been the conversation when you use technology as a way to express yourself and not just a means to an end people always wonder if it counts and i think the intention, the context, and the purpose of artists is to use these tools as a way to express themselves, regardless of the audience and the decision of the collective at that stage, if it counts or not. And I think you can, we've had this conversation in repetition for so many, I mean, Andy Warhol, Basquiat, all of those developments again it was garish it didn't count it was commercial it was you know completely unethical right. and i think we're having those exact same conversations with ai art and i think it goes back to context and you have to realize that the, the people who are creating publishing selling uh ai art are absolutely the people pushing the envelope in the same ways that we said the impressionists were didn't get it and weren't doing it correctly. I think um, people don't understand what really goes into the full aspect. And this is from, so I'm a traditional artist. I, I, I paint um, and I don't, I right. don't dabble in AI art. It's not my creative uh, pursuit. And that's why I'm so, I, I defend them so heavily because I think it is such a beautiful and unique ability 
and a really specific type of artist to push the barriers in this specific regard. Even as a traditional artist, you're able to incorporate these tools to expand your creativity. So it's not like an either or. It's not a competition either, you know? Like there's, we're, there's a, an abundance mindset here that we need about, you know, there's an importance of including all different perspectives and types of art and opinions on art, as well as the types of people who do art. And genuinely, AI has opened up the accessibility for artists who couldn't afford to go to art school or didn't have the luxury yeah. of taking two years off to paint full time to see if they could actually make it in the fine art world. You know, it's such a bigger conversation than just does it count? It's, it's moving out and looking at the, the world into a larger scope of conversation about like, I think the real conversation is who deserves to be an artist? Who gets to be an artist? Because it's such a luxury yeah. to be paid to a creative yeah. pursuit. And as somebody who studied industrial design in college as a way of masking the productivity of capitalism with my creativity, <laughs> I love yeah, <laughs> it was the practical application of being an artist. And now 10 years on, I'm coming back to painting, which is what I feel I've always been called to do. Um, you know, and it's the conversation of who, who and the reason that I'm painting right now today, full time, professionally, as well as working on the startup side, but I don't get paid for that yet. <laughs> um, the whole that I'm doing that now is because Web3 gave me that confidence of, oh, when I started selling my work as NFTs, I was like, and people were responding to it. And I had this audience and I had these people collecting my work. It, it, for the first time in my adult life, I was like, oh, I could be a real artist. Yeah. And I think there's something so important and spectacular in the conversation about how technology and the advancements of tools give everybody the opportunity and the confidence to try. Yep. Yeah, I was going to say, I... Definitely agree. I would 100% say it is art. And to your point, to your last point you made is it levels the playing field, right? You don't no longer need to go to school yeah. for four years to be able to paint something beautiful or learn uh, how to mix oil paints or, you know, learn Lightroom or Photoshop to produce a really nice photograph. Uh, so that's what makes it so interesting. Now, a lot more people are able to use the tool to you know, bring what they have either on their heart or on their mind to a piece of paper or the screen in this case, uh, which is, I think, going back to what is art, right? I think, I mean, one interesting point is there's still a human behind it, right? You're still typing a prompt and you're still, you're still having this idea and this vision that you're trying to put in the screen or on paper. Uh, so there's still that human element that's very clearly a part of the AI art process. And whether it is something really simple, like a red dot in the middle of the screen or a really complex like concept art for a video game, it doesn't matter. There's still human creativity and a thought process and even an emotional process, you could argue, that went behind creating the AI art. Um, and I think hence rendering all AR art actually art. <laughs> I think going back for not-for-profits, the the huge benefit of AI is also filling out your team. Like yeah. the, the opportunities and the ability that AI has to make up for hundreds of people that you would really need or fund hundreds of thousands of yeah. dollars of funding that you would need to be able to do some things, even something so simple as, you know, 
building a social media for for your um, project or not for profit. You know, it's important that people know what you're doing, and you can use ChatGPT to help craft not only a very specific schedule of social media posts, but exactly what to post, what to put in the captions to capture exactly the audience that you're looking to find. You know, some people might you might not have the funds for an entire social media team, but that's where AI is so helpful is on smaller teams or people yep. who need to fill out positions. Not a, in my perspective, it's not so much about taking jobs away from people who have them. It's about people who need to hire more people to do this job and they don't have the resources or ability to do that. And AI is filling the gaps and evening the playing field for people who don't have massive funding. Yeah, I think I was going to say for me as an entrepreneur with a you know small self-funded project, uh, when I see these AI tools, it's mostly exciting because in my head it's like, wow, I have you know this kind of expands my team in a way or enables my small team to mm -hmm. achieve more, yeah. um, and it uh, makes this whole mountain of uh, skill sets that I would technically need to learn to enable me to do what I want, which is specifically speaking, like animation and, and VFX, a way smaller mountain to climb. So I think, it, and if anything, it, it enables people to do more and to, to achieve more in their, their uh, creative uh, endeavors. Small caveat, Marcelo had to 3D model his image still yeah. to be able to use this, to be able to put his character into this AI system. He still had to know how to... Right, there's still a little bit of technical ability that needs to go into some of these, especially the ones that are outputting more, you know, technical things like a, a 3D model that's rigged or animated or things like that. But I think honestly, it's only a yeah. matter of time where yeah, right. that isn't the case. You know, in five years from now, I'm gonna be able to hype, take like, a photo, <laughs> make a 3D model of a surfing Sasquatch yeah. that's orange, and that's it. You know, I no longer need to model it in 3D. But still, it remains. It's it's a tool that enables me to do or to execute my vision that's in my head mm -hmm. a little bit quicker. And I think that goes for anything, you know, creative or or business or or it could be whatever whatever it is that you're into. I think it's a really helpful tool. Yeah, I agree. I mean, what you're saying parallels a lot of what we've been telling people that what what's the game changer is productivity. One person or a small team can do things that previously only very large organizations could do. Another thing that I really like that you said, Dylan, is the, the switch from knowledge economy to wisdom economy, right? Because in an economy or in a society where technically anyone can, has the tools to come up with something and make it real or tangible, it comes yep. back to like taste or a plan or a strategy or what's the bigger thought process behind what what it is that you're creating with the technology thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the ai for good podcast if you enjoyed today's discussion we kindly ask that you help us spread the word by liking sharing and subscribing to our podcast by doing so, you'll help us reach more nonprofit leaders such as yourself so we can help them learn how they can use AI for good.